to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters. We've been doing this for <laughs> way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. It's always more fun to share with everyone. It's always more fun to share with everyone. If you have one, here is something you can learn. This is a long one. You can still share just by taking turns. It's always more. <laughs> Extra long one. From DM Dave, Rock and Roll DM. Hello, everyone, again. No one will know what that is. At you least I hope me. not. You stumped me there. Yes. I hope you don't know, because then I'd you be like, stump Shazam with that. That's weird, bro. Why do you know that? That was the sharing song by Jack Johnson. So Jack Johnson's super cool, right? Yeah, from the Curious George soundtrack. So found that one on my Google search. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, great episode today. We actually have a listener question, and it has to do with sharing. Um, this is came through our socials, actually, from longtime listener uh, Jim Laubacher. Thank you again, Jim. Uh, we've talked uh, before about some of your questions. But you were responding to one of our episodes in the reply, and, and you and I kind of went back forth. But you had actually said one problem you've been having. So uh, one problem I've run into lately are the people who cannot allow someone else to have a moment at the table, even in town. They have to follow, watch, or participate, even if the other player is doing something mundane like buying equipment, which we know DM Tony loves. How do you, the handle, <laughs> how do you handle the player who just cannot sit quietly at the table and let someone else have their turn? And I responded back to Jim about, you know, that's a great question. And it's something that we've talked about several times. Uh, some episode actually is actually fully devoted to it, kind of the managerial aspects of being a DM. He then doubled down on it and he said, it is really tough to do when the group is part in person and part remote. And I thought that that was a really fun one uh, when I sent it out to you guys, because that's a really interesting twist, because we've talked at length about virtual tabletops and Roll20 and all these and how that technology affects the energy of the game and the flow. Uh, and this is even this is a kind of an interesting twist on that. So uh, I'll throw it out to you. What do you guys think about how fun it is to share with everyone? This is an interesting question, because sometimes, you know, you have that player who's excited and they're really happy to be there. And that translates into nervous energy. And then they want to be involved in every scene and you kind of can't rail, rein them in. But, I mean, I guess there's different dynamics to that. Uh, there's a social aspect of the game where people are making jokes. And sometimes in the game you know, someone will just shoot out something in the most innocuous moment and it's drop dead funny. Like everyone's laughing for like three minutes straight because it was just that good. And that's that's great. It's good content for the game itself. But when the player kind of soaks up and is involved and is way beyond their spotlight, I guess I want to put back to you. Does that make this individual a, a, to some extent a bad player? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know if it necessarily makes them a bad player per se. I think they may have a perception. They may have a personality that they want to be that. They have a lot to offer. They may be overly eager 
and stuff like that. I mean, we always like uh, Thorin was very uh, he was very eager, right? He was a very powerful player. Like he kind of had a certain way about him to dominate the things, but it's difficult. You want to make sure that everyone at the table feels like they have uh, a space to be able to to play, to be, to be able to do that. And then, I mean, if, to, to try to take that and then take that across and have a part in-person, part remote game where there's that weird disconnect where we're not all in one medium. We're kind of in two different mediums there. Makes it, I mean, really twice as difficult to manage there. That's the big thing about it, right? That is hard because we've talked a lot about how you handle the table when they're there. And to the point where at this point, I am now doing the same thing each time just to make sure everyone is kind of involved and have a thing. So, you know, the beginning of the session, you know, you wake up in camp in the morning, whatever, and I'll start, you know, clockwise. I'll start to my left. Maybe I'll say, what are you doing? Questions, thoughts, whatever. What are you? What are you? What are you? Like we've talked about on on other times with like initiative order, right? Like yeah. kind of keep an initiative order even in in non combat situations and role play and whatever when you're going to town. And I'll do that throughout the game. Okay, what are you? What are you? What are you? What are you? Uh, so that everybody has a chance to at least say, no, I'm good. Let them do their thing. But the virtual aspect of it, which we've done before, I've had people virtual. Chris, uh, the game that we brought mom in to play a little one. Oh, my shot, God. Right. That was so difficult. And that you so couldn't difficult. make it because, like, you had to, like, babysit that day or whatever. You couldn't get out, but you still were playing. And so we hooked up a whole monitor system and like you were like via satellite, right? Like this is going to yeah, work perfectly. Like, they do it all the time. The yeah. I could see you. Everyone could see you, but like your ass, your your interaction with that is just different, right? That's one the technology issues of going back and forth with people, and then also the energy of it. You're just not the same energy when you're a virtual person. No, I think for definitely like there's a different energy to it. And I one of the like as the person being on the virtual side of things is that there is that is that you're it's not like it's like an inside joke where you don't totally feel connected to what's happening at the table there. So you're very often you could be if if the person who's Wanting to be involved is the virtual person. It may it could be just a question of their perception of what they're hearing versus what they're kind of feeling at the table, right? They're not sitting there, but like across the table from the person, so to speak. So it's definitely a different energy. But I mean, it's a that it's that's kind of like a, some session zero stuff too, and everything like that beyond the digital part. It's like there there's a like we always like you know. And you always have to say it, Dave. You have to say it to me sometimes because I like to get a little bit probably pushy or involved in stuff. And, they, and like everyone has a space there. So you'll do a quick, right? Like you, you reset, even as you're moving through an initiative where you're like, okay, no, but let, but let them have their, hold the gate and then you can have your spot there. But we have to make sure we hold the gate for everybody there. But it can be difficult on the other side if the other players aren't quite as engaged as this player is, right? Like maybe he's just extra engaged. I don't know. It sounds like he's probably a little bit more than that, but just in a broader sense, if he's just really ready to go and everyone else doesn't, isn't, you know, as good at role play or those kind of things. Yeah. You definitely have to be sensitive in terms of, or at least aware 
of the difference when you're doing things remote. As long as you have your eye on it and you're making sure everyone's getting their moment because, yeah, we've all been there when one player, given an opportunity, will take 20 moves before one player's actually done something else. And they're standing there. Oh, my God, yeah. They're already at the chest. They're in the mummy's sarcophagus already. (laughs) Meanwhile, Dave's, like, lighting a torch at the entrance and, you know, Thorne's, like, cracking it open with a crowbar. So that that can be an issue. You teach players how your game works. Like we've always said that, like, how does my world work? Well, how does your table run? And I think like what Dave does when he goes around and moves around the table, make sure everyone gets an opportunity at the beginning or perhaps in a scene, then you're showing them that, that everyone's going to have their opportunity to do that. You can run the initiative order, but also just a general feel like the heads up thing. If someone isn't responding a whole lot, Right. Like we'll all kind of stop and try to get that person to, you know, like get them to interact in some way. Like we try to turn the focus back away from the person who's kind of dominating it to somebody else who maybe isn't getting some spotlight. So making sure that you just make sure to keep on having opportunities to give the other players some um, some runway, some breathing room to kind of role play is good, too. Chris, you've brought that up before, and I think that's a great it's one of our trademarked. uh uh, phrases that we have like battle mat psychosis and things is uh, being a head up DM and literally like the literal thing, your head is up. You're actively watching the table and the virtual, the virtual world is no different. You are still watching the table, but I will say that is still very hard because there's just a lack of something there regardless of who the player is almost because we've run several games i remember there was a curse of strahd game we ran where beth had to come in virtually on it as well we did one in woodstock tony i think you were you had joined the campaign by this point where we literally had half and half it was as covid was starting to to Mm -hmm. let loose right and we were kind of starting to come back to gaming in person but not everybody was comfortable with that. So we literally had half and half. And we had at over at uh, Bonnie and ours, ours house, we had the long table right in front of the big screen TV and we hooked <laughs> it up there. And it was it was interesting and it kind of worked. But, yes, being a head up DM to really focus in on who's over there in the virtual space. And maybe they've already gotten up to get some popcorn and a soda or something. And like I'm describing a scene so I can't even get to them, you know. So. Some players are much more comfortable kind of taking a, a, a passive approach or at least allowing other players to do some of the heavier lifting. They're going to like kind of chill, listen to the story, maybe count on some of the other players to remember some of these details or try to solve some of these things. Perhaps they're less experienced. Perhaps that's just their style. Not everybody likes to be in that spotlight. That's just the reality. I think that's the environment that kind of allows it to flourish where – you could then end up with one or two or three players doing getting a lot of the screen time and the other players are sitting back going, well, OK, you know, well, I mean, are we succeeding? We're succeeding. Right. So this is fine. But if you allow that to go on, then then you're showing everybody then perhaps that is what's OK or maybe it is or is it not? I mean, I think there's definitely something to that there's a type of player. Some players just aren't going to be very interactive. Right. They're there. They're either. They're not big on role playing. They're not really comfortable getting into it all, or they just kind of enjoy what's going on at the table there. You just want to make sure that that's the case, right? Like you don't want to just have someone treading on someone else there. But 
at the same time, it's good to, you know, a group has to have a leader, so to speak. So in some cases, it's good to have a player that has some level of initiative. Like the hardest thing you can have as a DM is a party that just doesn't want to like go do anything, right? Like they're like, ah, we're just going like, out in town or something like that. Maybe do some shopping, right? And you're like, oh no, like, don't you want to go, you know, check out this ruined wizard's tower or something really cool? Like it's a please. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> that's just dangerous. What do you want? So you, you want someone at the table who's going to take that a little bit of initiative there, but there has, you know, as with any kind of managing something, there has to be a, some emotional intelligence involved. Like you have to make sure that as the DM, that that person isn't treading on everyone else. Yeah, you need that, the Captain America of the team in certain respects, right? Because you need the person that's going to be like, okay, let's, guys, what are we going to do today? And start, either start some of the role play. Or just kind of say, okay, team, this is what we're doing. I need you here, need you, whatever, right? And Tony, that was uh, that was a, a a good point I think that you were making there. That what if you have this break between your virtual players and your in-person players? What if all your virtual players, which might be part of the reason too? I mean, there's probably a distance level, but oftentimes people who are a bit anxious or socially awkward are much more comfortable playing online for obvious reasons. What if all your virtual players are the shy ones and all your in-person players are the dominant players? That makes it even harder because now you have all of this energy coming at you at the table that you need to respond to. And you're looking over at the screen as this person is, you know, they're knitting or something, right? (laughs) I've never had a player knit, to be fair. That's not something I've walked, looked over and saw someone was like crocheting. A little bit of trivia. I've actually, I don't think I've ever been in a, in a group where we had an official air quotes leader of the team. Yeah, right. Like fought it, but they never really like got an actual. Yeah. Well, no, I, mean, yeah, I don't think it's work. ever chosen like that. But I think that, yeah. that it naturally just sort of socially wise, someone whoever is the most dominant personality or the person who wants to kind of move on the most kind of gets everything going. But it can get out of control easily like that and so definitely with that but i think a lot of times if your virtual players are the shy ones i mean that's what they're comfortable doing so i think they're still probably getting the same amount of enjoyment out of it you want to make sure that you're you're giving them space and saying hey do you have anything you know as you're going around the table there but in many cases maybe they are enjoying the fact that they're kind of you know they're enjoying the show as much as everybody else while playing, you know, so it's, uh, mm. you just, yeah. yeah, you just don't want to try to, I guess we got to keep circling back to that. It's really just the, you have to make sure to rein in the dominant personalities from running everything. It's just, you know, you can be the impetus for action, but you can't be the final decider, the sole decider. It's <laughs> funny as I'm, as we're going through this, I'm thinking back all the way back to episode two, Tony, when we were, wow. it was the episode on Roll20 Newbies, when we were just breaking into doing Roll20, and we kind of talked about it, and I remember uh, talking about, yeah, talking about how much I was really enjoying it for a lot of reasons, because I just started Curse of Strahd and all of this, and as I think back, I'm like, oh man, if only I knew that, like, you know, when I, when I didn't have any in-person, and I finally get back to it, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really want to go back to that, I'm going to do it at times because it's 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 helpful and and definitely convenient but yeah that in-person thing is uh is something that's just an aside there but one thing that i'm thinking too 
as kind of part of Jim's question was it was it was almost like that feel of not just the person doesn't want the other person to have a spotlight, but it's like that person needs to be involved in whatever's happening. So this person, it, like, let you got a wizard character, and they're super into role playing spell components, right? I'm thinking like uh, for all the crit roll fans out there, Liam O'Brien's one character in Campaign Two, Caleb Widowgast, his wizard, which was super cool because you saw an old school player playing a wizard like. For real. So he would every town he needed to go find paper. He needed to go buy this. He needed to find a rock. Just that shoot was a, me. No, no. And like I, there I did that. Never again. I know. Never no, again. I know. But there was something to it where I was like, I can, I can. It's kind of cool, you know. Like I've been just as a, a another aside, but it kind of goes to my point here. I've been re- rereading some of the Dresden Files books uh, by Jim Butcher with Harry Dresden, which BT dubs. Uh, that's where I lifted my entire idea of the Feywild. So you when you guys went to the Feywild courts and all of that, like most of the idea of how it's set up and the way was totally just Jim Butcher's idea of the never never anyway so shout out to jim butcher so you have this wizard character and they really want to do components right and that's their thing they're super into it they got a whole freaking three pages of stuff that they keep on the alley of right they're accounting over there and that they love it but meanwhile the one the dominant player the person that can't not they're like coming with them to every apothecarius they're coming they're like they're never going to the blacksmith yeah i'm just gonna go get my sword i'm gonna be at the tavern you do your thing like they're always like and i'm also in the apothecary like that's how i feel like it is like there's no splitting up even in town to do like you know let's go buy supplies guy no i'm i am also there you know it's that kind of feel what do you think well, you're creating a, a question here, like, how do I feel about you going to three different stores to go look for glowworms? Okay, like, <laughs> all right, that, maybe it was it was a bad it was a bad uh, you uh, example to use for you. I understand this. But. I, I remember having doing this in first edition, and I had my spell list of all my spells that I had in my book, and then I had all my components. So when I like a, there was like a charging minotaur, I'm like, oh no, I'm low on sulfur. Oh, <laughs> you know, God makes you really appreciate having you know an implement now, real, re- really truly. But we've all, I mean, we've all had that player who wants in this fantasy situation to take charge from a narrative story perspective, and. Just like in real life, a lot of times that person may not necessarily be qualified <laughs> to be running anything, <laughs> even in this fantasy story. That's wildly true. No, and I, I think very often it's also, I mean, sometimes, I mean, in, in players like that, defense, sometimes there's nothing that they really want to do in town. So they're just sort of tagging along there. If it was a consistent problem where every time they split up, it was always with the same guy and that guy didn't want to split up with them. Then I can definitely see that, right? Like, he's just, like, hanging around on him. (laughs) But, you know. Like, bro, I was going to the baths. It's okay. (laughs) And I am also there. (laughs) Yeah, it could get a little weird. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of that, I think, is that it's the dominant player versus sort of passive player. Sometimes I go into town. I don't have anywhere to go to shop. Like, But I'm like, all right, cool, let's go do this. I mean, a lot of times, you know, I'm never for splitting the party, so we always go 
like as a group to do everything. Five-year-olds, right? Yeah, we're all in the bath and dragon bath. Well, no, you can't go alone. We all have to go together. But that's important because you don't split the party. Well, I mean, unless the player has the ability to split themselves like an amoeba, it'd be like in five (laughs) different places at once. How many scenes they're in has to be limited. I mean, right? right? (laughs) It's the... um, Marvel and DC, they both as companies had, uh, I think they called it the 30% rule or something like that. Right. Where Mar- I, Tony, were you the one telling me about this? And like, so Marvel, only 30% of stories in any book could feature Wolverine. And in DC, the same thing for Batman, because writers were just leaning on these two, these two properties so hard (laughs) for obvious reasons. Right. Because like, oh, shit, it's a story with Wolfie or Batman. Yeah, I'm going to read that one as opposed to this bullshit with Booster Gold, whoever the fuck this guy is. Right. I mean, it makes it Wolverine versus Batman. But I will say, like, back to the idea of like you have some like either shy players or the players who are virtual or maybe aren't able to get that spotlight. I can't, I mean, I bring this up all the time, but I, I think it's for good reason. I can't recommend enough the idea of what we've started to play with, with narrative side story stuff. Also in the same way, uh, what we've been doing in the, the Marvel campaign between the three of us, where we're kind of running this thing and it's all narrative. It's all a Google doc. And we're just going through this thing, you know, back and forth, ping, ping, ping. But even the narrative side story where you can focus in on that player, you know, through an email, through a text, through a a shareable Google, whatever your thing is, and give them a this is what's happening to you and kind of play that out. So they get that sense of even in game time, if they're not getting as much spotlight or if the other person is not. They at least are getting it somewhere in the game, but it could also lead to them taking more of a uh, a space at the game because they feel like they have a lot more involved. Now, they have way more investment. They have way more agency because something is happening to them, especially if you tie it into other people in the party, even the dominant player. I think that's a very good idea is that like you, you give them some sort of impetus there. You give them something to have to say next week. And in many ways, you're managing it. You're giving them that time. They're not getting directly at the table there because the other player is dominant. But, you know, and I guess truthfully, I guess eventually that you hope that that balances it a little bit there and stuff like that. No, that would be a, I mean, it, it's a bit powerful, powerful. Because it's something I've been doing with say there, so I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's been something I've been playing with, obviously, even more in the Dragonlance campaign, as I've talked about a lot, because I finally was able to use it right from the get go. But I have seeded, as as we discussed other times, I've seeded other people's stuff into your guys' narratives as well. So there's this this crossover, so that when things start to get talked about. Hopefully that player at the table picks up on that and goes, wait a second, who did you talk about? Who did you say? Or what, what is that again? Or, Hey, about this thing, we just found X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. And then I feel like it can, hopefully in the ideal, it creates that level of cooperation where as long as your dominant players aren't just assholes, right? But they're just dominant because, their initial, like Tony, you're a great example. 
You're a dominant player. Asshole, in this arguably, yes. <laughs> no, no, no. no you, are a, <laughs> you are a dominant player in the sense of you're that one that everybody needs at the table because they're going to be like, this is the adventure, guys. I'm ready to go on it. Here's my reasonings for going on it in character, and let's do this. What do you guys think? And you're going to move that forward, right? Where me, I'm going to be the person that's going to try to institute some role play. But, you know, I'm going to look over at Chris's character, Skull, and start talking about his new druid powers or something to try to foster this this back and forth, that type of thing, you know? Uh, and that's are dead. <laughs> <laughs> but – that's very different from just the, the, pot, Chris. the dominant player, because then, Tony, we've had it in game with like, especially William and Eva, Scott's character and your character kind of finding some common ground through the knighthood and stuff and kind of playing off of each other in that way, you know? So before we started doing any of that, which I think is a fantastic tool and I, I do thoroughly enjoy it, uh, I would like for Curse of Strahd when I was Hawk. I would have like four or five things I wanted to do in the game before it started. Like I had this mapped out in my head. I'm like, this is where we're going. I want to try to see if we could talk to this person. I want to ask this player about this. And I want to ask the DM in game like this question. So like I already had an idea and a structure of everything I wanted to have happen. So I mean, in some respects, I appreciate, you know, if this person's looking for opportunities to do these things. It doesn't really sound to me this is really an issue of – this player is concerned they're not getting enough done or enough forward progress in the game rather than they perhaps just feel like they want to have the spotlight and don't know where, you know, a good place is for them to kind of like let go. So is this kind of like a control issue to yeah. some extent? Yeah. To step back a little bit and allow, allow that the monologue to turn into a dialogue. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's times yeah. for both. Yeah, no, I mean, well, on the Wednesday nighters with the further, one of the things that I've started to do, I kind of review the players, like I have session notes, and I review the players each time. And one of the things that I try to do is I try to make sure that, like, you're not going to have a moment every time, but I'm going to make sure that as I'm looking through, I'm like, okay, this person needs a moment this week or something like that. They need something happening in the story that's going to draw them in and make them feel important part of the party and in many ways that can help to bring out players that aren't necessarily it works a little bit hand in hand kind of with what you're doing with Dragonlance where you have to there has to be some sort of backstory you have to kind of understand it but you can give them things then there make sure that this session this week I got to make sure I, I have to make sure Dave's character gets something and then next week I'm like oh I haven't done anything for Tony in a while right and just make sure that I'm making I make sure I'm assigning space ahead of time and something something cool and important for them so that everybody feels like they're a part. Absolutely. That's, Chris, that's a good point. I've actually been making that uh, some more of my prep where I will list out each of the characters and I'll try to see is there anything that's coming up that they're currently active at that they're looking for that fits it doesn't shoehorn right you never want to shoehorn it but fits into the the next session maybe or at least the seed of it maybe and yeah like you said it's not going to happen every session but when it does especially if it furthers the overall story and adventure that also might be a way that you teach people how to play your game so that they realize that other the other characters are also needing that spotlight because that's where some of the clues might be 
but Tony, as you said, it's it seems to be more of an issue of, and I am also there, right? So it's not even a matter of yeah, okay, you're having your 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 monologue, and I am also there, you know, like it's always <laughs> just and me, and don't forget me, kind of thing. Is what so, it sounds like. Well, so when you have a campaign that you really like. I mean, so as a player, what is your goal? I mean, it's going to vary from person to person. For me personally, one of these most important goals is that the game continues. So you, it's kind of like this is something I would gently suggest to this individual. It's like you're really into this game and you really like it. Well, a team is only as good as its characters. Do, have you ever read a book where there was a team that half of them sucked and were boring and they kind of blended into each other? It probably wasn't that great or compelling of a story. <laughs> <laughs> you want these you want your team to keep showing up. You want them to be involved. You need something to work with. You cannot run a game. And I, this is how I would say to it very tactfully, very chill. Um, you know, you can't do all the lifting, heavy lifting all the time. You could have a big moment. You could have some key moments. You could, you know, get a lot of sunlight, but you'll be but, you know, you're not it's not going to be about you for 350 pages. That's not right. and, in the in the story way tone it's the uh yes you have you do have those books but those books have a protagonist and then the other people that they interact with in the world but it's a first person narrative of this protagonist that's very different as we talked about than a game table because you're not running a one-on-one session here with sidekicks you're running an actual team right you're running the Avengers, and we've introduced all these characters, and now they're a whole team, and they all get screen time, except for like you know Hawkeye still, but you know I think he got the raw deal. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think they get a movie. T- yeah, they did. They did do Hawkeye somewhat dirty. He was one of my favorites back. I will back. say, if you haven't check for everybody out there, check out Hawkeye the series that they came out with like last year, year before. Phenomenal. Yet again, if only you had done it before the movies but it happens after the movies so it actually plays but quite good hmm. they finally do him justice but uh kind of uh, further on to this point is that like uh maybe to a way you can turn that energy that the person has if they're just things if they're not just obnoxiously in the way but if they're just a believer you can turn that you can give them that idea that look you're obviously really eager about this work with me let help me get these guys in there role play with them get them involved as much as you are give them their moments let them kind of grow and it'll make it you know it'll make it that much better but i think that's a very good way to think about it is that it doesn't necessarily have to be some sort of discipline thing where you're like oh you know but it's like hey listen like what you're doing isn't you know, we need to give these people more time because it's going to make it better because there's a Tarrasque at the end, right? <laughs> and you're not going to be able to take it on alone. Like, you're going to need these other three people here that are with you to be the best versions of themselves, you know, so. So, Chris, you're saying, uh, like, are you saying, like, kind of out of game, like, talk to the person like yeah, I would say I would say something like that, like afterwards or something or before the game and say, say, look, hey, like, you know, I understand that where you're coming from here, but let's, you know, to Tony's point, let's use it for the powers of good here is that let's help to get, you know, get engaged with your other players, turn the energy that they have in kind of being involved into everything away from them staring at you as they're involved into everything and kind of staring back at the other players they're role playing with it. Kind of like you do with the wizard, you know, in, uh, you know, in the, the Ragnarok game where you reach out and kind of initiate a lot of the role play. Like you get the ball rolling yeah. down the table using that your energy in that way. 
try to, yeah. You know, especially if you have shy players, though. I, you know, if this this may not be a deal breaking issue within the campaign, but it very easily could be because some players, if they get turned off, they really won't may not bring their grievances up to you. That's like, ah, I got to work all the days now. I'm sorry. And then, you know, then the game's on the verge of falling apart. I've seen games fall apart for some really stupid reasons, but it, it happens. And, you know, you want to be out in front of that. I'm going to make sure everybody's having that good time. And, you know, if everyone's like, oh, yeah, no, let Jim talk like 85 percent of the time. That's great. If they're really in for that, then cool. But can you imagine being in a D&D campaign where you're slated as somebody's sidekick from the beginning? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, like I found and it's the temple of the tomb. Like, I mean. That's kind of cool. I'll have some moments, right? Love Dr. But, Jones. Yeah. yeah, like I don't know if I really have my moments. Right? <laughs> you just that need some me. witty comebacks. What? That's that's what you're there for. Yeah. Yeah, that, but what do you? Is it? Yeah, because do one. If that's the case, let's say this person like they get pissed off, you know, and they want to leave, and all of a sudden they're too busy, and the campaign dies. Which is, which is worse, right? To like, is it better to let that campaign go if that's kind of the way it's set up and you've talked to them or or the other you just still try to deal with it like that's a that's an interesting conundrum well then you have to say to that player like hey you're not here see like there's different ways like they're, they're overly involved i mean are they like literally following this person around like they're the flash in every scene maybe that's a different issue you could deal with in terms of continuity but if they're like you know playing a video while someone else is doing something or they're like sucking in other people and involved in a different way unrelated to the game itself then that that's an equally uh, you know large potential problem that you're facing because they're detracting from like this person's trying to have a moment and you're showing them you know this cat video much as i appreciate a good cat video <laughs> now, I think there's a limit where there's always a, obviously there's a point at which it's just not going to work. I mean, you want to make that you put your best foot forward. You want to make sure that you get ahead of it. Talk about it with them and stuff like that. Talk with the other players. But at a certain point, if the player isn't working like the players, just not working like there's you know, there's no uh, being on a campaign isn't a it's a privilege, not a right. So it's like it, you, you, there is an, a certain amount of uh, professionals and decorum that you have to show. Like if you're not going to show that way, then you just, you know, and the person won't change. You just have to ask them, you know, not to come to the table, sort of, so to speak, or the computer if you're playing virtually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've definitely been in campaigns. As sad as that it, is, you know. Whereas, <laughs> you know, I've I've just kind of I've kind of worked with it until the campaign kind of found its its final end normally, and then generally I just. I, I borrowed the the idea from Matt Colville, um, but I really put it into play, and it, and it's really come through. He talks about curating your group uh, because everyone has different play styles. You have a different DM style. You like to do certain things on your game that other people don't, and that's you know. But you then curate a group that that you can play in the, in those spaces with, or or you know, test yourself. And I feel like that's kind of where I've gotten to, where there's certain people that I'm. If I'm going to be doing a campaign, I know these people I, w I would like to, you know, and other ones I'm I just you just kind of stop gaming with those people. It just kind of falls by the wayside. But hopefully you have, you know, your remaining ones are still there and, and want to continue on with that.
So I've enjoyed having all, a whole very huge variety of players at the table, and all of them were awesome. But I can say, truthfully, I've enjoyed more some of them more than others. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and with that said, you have a player like that. We'll just say you it, they're really difficult to rein in in this respect. Do you invite them back to the, the next game, like the campaign? Like, say, say this game reaches its, its natural conclusion, and you're like, it, it, it ends, but – Next time we're starting something, is this person getting a call? How often do I see the person? Yeah, there is, there is, right, there is always like that. But I think, like to your point, is that you know, at a certain point, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and so it's about your enjoyment too. But you should, and you shouldn't have to be the, you know, the slave DM kind of guy, making sure that you're managing everything like some kind of super CEO. You're going to make sure it's happening at the table. You have already an increased level of responsibility. But if at a certain point it's affecting your enjoyment and everyone else is at the table and he won't change, like it's just better for the group, right? Everyone's going to have more fun if we're not doing it this way. I don't know if his situation is even close to that or not. And the whole virtual versus real thing, like it's got to find a way to get everybody together in one space, whether it be all virtual or all real, because it just it's uh, it. You know, if you're in there, you can control your one medium, but controlling two mediums like it's like it's like a TV show or something like that. What I would say, Tony, in response to that is one you well, not one. This is my response to that. I don't know why I'm numbering them. I <laughs> I have a seven-part reply. Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, this, I have one point. I don't need to say one. That's only if you're a. Um, but uh, no. But so the do you do you ask that person back to the next campaign? The answer is maybe, probably. Who knows? Because you know how that person plays now. You know their style. You know what you know. So they got this dominant. And in the next campaign, you can set it to give other players the power position, right? So I specifically did this in, one, because I, I thought it was a cool way to do it, but two, because Bonnie has trouble at, at tables a lot of times because she's not super dominant. She's not passive either, but she's not super dominant. So when there's a lot going on, she just generally will take a step back. So in the Curse of Strahd campaign, I tried to rectify this. Now, it kind of went a different way after the first couple games. But if you guys remember, the way in which that campaign started was Little One, the Gnome Artificer, sent you all letters. You guys all saw Help Wanted stuff in town that was asking us to come help save. I'm hiring this team on because I got to go help these kids. And there's a monster in the basement type of thing. So. Right off the bat, she was the contact point, which gave uh, the possibility, at least, of a power position, right? So there's a level of, oh, you hired us on. Okay, you know, that type of thing. So you can adjust the the campaign. You can adjust the, the adventure, that type of stuff, by playing to those people's strengths, you know? You have a dominant player who likes to take a lot of initiative. That's a good that's a you need that at the table. Chris, as you said earlier, if you have a lot of people who don't do that, that's a tough You're thing. asking them oh. what they want to yeah, do. Like, <laughs> you literally don't want to see the haunted keep in the forest. You you're really just gonna taste ales. You're just gonna go yeah. around 
and you're going to make your own tavern and start like a microbrewery. I mean, like we yeah, could run like, that campaign. You're not going to make me ask you guys what you want to do again. <laughs> yeah, like you're not going to talk to the wizard with the flaming crown on it. You want to talk to <laughs> Sam Smorkel. Okay. You know, so you need that person, but every all of our strengths are our greatest weaknesses too if you play them too hard and that's what it's so bringing someone back into a new campaign you have a fresh start to learn to play with those dials and give other people specific things that create spotlight tony you did it even though you didn't need to do it in this way i think you did it in the ragnarok campaign because you knew that i don't mind talking you knew that i don't mind role-playing with other characters so you gave Gwaden, my wizard, a lot of the prophecy that was meant to bring the characters together to combat Fimblewinter and the oncoming Ragnarok. I think you specifically said, okay, I can take this and place it on this character because I know that they can, this player, because I know that they can do what I kind of need to have happen. So it was almost like DM delegation, I feel like. Is that am I reading Appleseed? He made sure he knew you were gonna plant the trees. He wasn't sure he wasn't sure if other players would plant the seeds as well as you right. would around the table. Right. So right. so I put a lot of legwork into the prep for that game. Like really truly, including like listening to like hours and hours of Norse mythology and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, we've gotta get this off the ground clean. And that's kind of what my thought process was, because the hook was very kind of take it or leave it like hey the world's ending but if you guys want to get involved there are some opportunities no 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 <laughs> we're not doing that <laughs> like no we're the, the the planes gassed up you've got tickets and you're handing them out at the gate for everybody like that's kind of like where i wanted to to have that locked in but for you with bonnie i feel like you were like so out in front of this like you were like at the beginning of the game you were like boom like here's your here's your platform <laughs> like, th like there it is absolutely and then it just took its own thing because then she uh partly because she was still somewhat new to gaming with you at the time so she just glommed on to your character in a way to kind of okay yeah. i'll just do this because that's an easy way to and then it turned into like one of the one of the greatest relationships in any of our games of Hawk no one saw that Little, coming right <laughs> yeah right so so it turned in it it morphed itself but i i feel like the having a level of agency for a player like that to start with can be of assistance you don't know how that's going to play out at the table but you at least try to give the person a platform right to then Take this where you will. No, I think everybody has that has their like you said their own strengths. Like so, you don't necessarily want four dominant players at the table, right? You you really kind of you want a couple passives there because otherwise that's going to be a lot to deal with. You like everyone, you know. You want to make sure you have everybody there, so you like a group. It you know, and you can tune your stuff, but it's just yeah, if it got to be too much. But that's a very I mean you know changing the. Uh, their angle giving them more agency in the story the more agency you give someone in the story i guess the more they almost feel like they have to be involved right like if i start to if you start to be this story starts to be more and more about you you're going to be more and more inclined to i'm going to be asking you more questions about it and you're going to be more and more inclined to answer and think about things about it so is a passive player more or less preferred then i think passive is a weird way to Right. Like you want like a player who's not a dominant player, but as long as they're enjoying themselves. Right. As long as they're 
engaged in the story somewhere, but maybe they're not like, you know, they're like, you know, a lot of times in Strahd, we would follow Thorin because he was the, the most dominant personality. So we would just be like, all right, we're just going to go ahead and do this and stuff like that. Like, and it wasn't always necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's like, all right, you've decided here and it's good. And so we don't all need to be battling back and forth about what we're going to do, because that could be an issue, too. If I have, you know, if everybody's right. arguing about where we're going, it's sometimes it's better, especially for a session. Get them going. You know, wherever you guys want to go, oh, all of a sudden we're in a battle and it doesn't matter because we're going around combat and no one can really hog the spotlight too much. Right. Like, you know, there's ways to be able to. I mean, I want to say truthfully, combat's the great equalizer. Like, it's tough to hog your time. You can hog your turn. But then it's always going to pass to the next guy, right? Like, it's, uh, oh, don't challenge anybody, please. Yeah, but yeah, all right, you know. But you know, in general, I mean, it's something like that. There's ways to like take it back to a thing. If he's just hanging out with the guys, something happens, and uh, they get split up, right? Uh, you know, you could have some kind of dastardly uh, shenanigans or something that splits them up, so the guy finally gets to go shop alone. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's as simple. Right. I don't think it's as simple as just saying a passive or dominant player. I mean, sometimes it might be, but I think a lot of times, like most things, it, it's on some sort of equilibrium there. Right. It's on a spectrum, as it were. Um, it's kind of like saying, well, is it sandbox or railroads? And you're like, well, if you've ever actually run a game, you realize they're both. They both exist. Like, and it's the balance between those two that is the thing. Because I've seen many times where your most dominant player, well, I haven't really seen that. A dominant player generally is going to be. Dominant in, in fashion, uh, but oftentimes that comes with a level of experience in the game, too. Uh, so they get a sense of how the how the game is running. But passive players, the, a lot of things can change for that, including the um, the character they're playing. They might not have found like actors, right? They might not have found what really makes that that character tick and really like, ooh, that's that's the hook for that character. I can play that. Or, like I said, they might not have had enough of, you could call it agency, you can call it spotlight, whatever it is, but things that make them, oh, oh, this is about me. Well, I want to know how that story arc goes. How, where, What happens to my character with that? Uh, I, I want to play this out, so I want to seek that out. So sometimes with the, the passivity, it's it's not a um, – sometimes it's just the story isn't necessarily allowing it. So always always look for that, too, but – uh, that I, I don't think uh, from what it's sounding like we're, from Jim's question, I don't even think it's as much of a passive players as much as you have just the one person who's like, and I am also there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, that guy, I, I feel like that can, that player is not one of the virtual players. I'm just going to say I bet you it's not right. Because you just accidentally that. mute them, right, or something like that. But anyway, uh, it's getting about that time. We talked uh, at uh, all around this subject. Uh, hopefully, uh, it was helpful. I think there was a lot of good stuff in there uh, for Jim, so he'll let us know. But uh, about time for final thoughts. So sharing the spotlight and also some of the issues when you have this hybrid, which a lot of people do now, of because uh, there is a convenience. You know, your friend moves to Seattle. You know, and you live in Jersey, you can still game with them. But this this hybrid of technology, what do you think? So if you have a character or you have a, who really engages in this practice where they're, they're in every scene and they want to be in every scene, whether it necessarily makes sense or not. And I think that's kind of the problem. Like if this is like, you know. There were Salamnic Knights, and they're like, oh, let's get Sir William. Well, of course you want him there. But, like, you know, if we're at the Apothecary, 
or we're, we're at the te- some other temple for a different deity he's not involved in. The question is, does this narratively make sense? And that's kind of how I would want to guide all of these players too. I would put out there that everyone's going to have their chance. You can kind of have this conversation without having this conversation. Say your expectations and be like, hey, everybody is going to get that moment. You like perhaps this player is afraid they're going to miss out on something. You kind of got to assure them that is not the case because ultimately, even with a new player and the newer players are more quiet, more shy. There's a lot of different ways you could look at this or label them, but you want them to have that character growth during the game so that towards the end they've transformed and have really reached their character goal and thus strengthening your team and making the party really something worth remembering. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I think it's important. It's part of it. There's a bit of management involved. You have to make sure you're reading the table. Try to make sure that you're, uh, you know, you're, if you have this dominant player, try to use his powers for good. Try to steer him towards, a, you know, engaging the other players because the, you really need a group, different group of people at the table, right? Your curated group needs to be something that's has a bit of flavor to it. Not every, you know, everyone has their own strengths in it. And I would say also just, I mean, in your prep itself and even in getting ready for the campaigns, you can... Uh, prepare for these things you can put little bits in there so that from session to session you make sure that you're giving players time there you're making sure that everyone gets their spotlight at least that that they know that if i'm not getting it this week i know that i'm for sure going to be getting it next week or the week after something's going to happen that's going to be cool because that's why i'm playing the game a little bit you know and then finally in the end if it's just not working it's just not working i think it's uh you know Playing uh, at the table is, uh, is a privilege and not a right. So if the if the player won't change and it causes a lot of disruption, I'd say just it's time to uh, you know call it quits. Yeah, I th- Chris, just to back up one of your points there, I think uh, that is part of it to see how the story is going. I, I how, however you had said it, but the other person's spotlight moments only in, in, enhance the immersion of the story, even if you're not directly related to it. Two great examples, one in Dragonlance, which was when it was revealed that Loazette of the Black Robes is actually Resguedo's father, who he had been searching for under an alias. And two... No. Oh, no. <laughs> That's That's he chopped his hand off, too. That's true. That's no. uh-huh. And then last night in, the, uh, in my uh, all-girls campaign, where we've been kind of running a, a homebrew slash running certain adventures where I uh, pulled in some backstory from the one character where she had built it out that her male druid who uh, was kind of a, a womanizer, woman's man, ladies man, uh, had his backstory was he was on the run because he had uh, seduced uh, the princess. And I put it down in Kalimshan in the South. So kind of like Arabian night style. And she had during their Congress had fallen from the window and died. So like he buried her and like ran and that's how he jumped on the ship that they're on. And it just came out last night because they pulled into their port finally after their first adventure where the next part of the adventure will start. And I had guards, uh, soldiers from Kalimshan, like their, their special investigation unit, like searching the docks because they were looking for this, one of the aliases that this character had, which was really good, but it was a way that it put the spotlight on, but then brought the other characters in to go, whoa, 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 what is happening here? You know, and so same type of thing. You know, it, it's it's part of the story to be a, part of the audience as well. 
So with me, the technology thing, I don't have a lot of great advice for that other than what I've done, which is you do the best you can. And I can't say enough for initiative order. And it doesn't have to be a literal role initiative, but start to the left of you or to the right of you, whatever. But you start to the left and just go clockwise. And if one of the clockwise positions is a monitor, then you talk to that monitor and everybody else shuts the hell up while you're doing that. And if you start to do that enough times, they realize that, okay, I know that that Dave is going to he's going to go through. So if I want to get something out, or I have a question. I want to try to offer something to the party. Maybe I can drop it in there. I can also just say, I'm cool. I'm just drinking my coffee in the morning, you know, whatever it might be. So the initiative order thing for the whole game, just use that as a quick check-in moment. Um, whenever scenes are changing, the beginning of the game, obviously during combat. I mean, we know that one. And my, my, my last point I can't say it enough about narrative side story stuff. If you have shy, awkward, not as dominant players, they don't necessarily know how to take that initiative or grab it. Narrative side story can be very, very helpful to send them a scene about something that they are wanting to know, trying to find, seed it with other stuff in the adventure, seed it with stuff in the dominant player's story. Have them start to become, see the possibility of a team between them. Uh, like, I mean, this was not my my plan for this, nor did it need to happen. But Little One and Hawk, they became a team and started to play off of each other in that way. So, you know, that, that hopefully can happen for you. That's going to be about it for me, though. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for stopping in again. Uh, and thank you, everybody out there. Jim, thank you for the question. I hope it was very helpful. You're not really going to have to worry about dice for the stuff we were talking about today. But, you know, I got nothing funny to say about it today. I got no cool <laughs> tandem. So, obviously, we have our affiliate link over at Fanroll Dice. It's fanrolldice.com slash REF slash 2871. Uh, you get 10% off your order. So, pretty good deal. That's going to be it for us this week. And as we do each episode, we are going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. And thank you all for listening at home. This has been another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform. And if you want to hear us talk about your question, not everything we do comes from YouTube and Twitter conversations. We cover a lot of questions that our listeners ask, and we would love to cover your question, too, if you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about. Go to our website, threewisedms.com, put it in the what's your problem field, or you can email to us at threewisedms at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those platforms, and we're always looking for ways we can help our listeners just talk through and think through their problem. And that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next time on Three Wise DMs. <laughs>